0: Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E.com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte.
1: First Republic, PacWest, Silicon Valley Bank. Just a few of the latest casualties in the banking crisis. Don't wait for the email reading, sorry, your account has been frozen. Your accounts aren't safe. Call American Alternative Assets at 866 the number three. USA Gold to claim your free gold and silver guide today. Once again, call now, 866-387-2465. Hello everybody, I'm Lou Dobbs and welcome to the Great America Show on this Memorial Day holiday, the day in which we honor those members of our military who died in service to the nation. We want to take this moment to thank those American heroes whose sacrifice secured and preserved our liberties in these United States of America. This is, above all else, a day of remembrance. God bless all who have sacrificed all for our constitutional republic and the American way of life. And to all who are serving the nation now in uniform all around the world, we thank you for your service. Today, in my opinion, America faces the most complex range of threats in our history, from both within and without. America is a nation that is without question in political and societal turmoil, our national security at risk from a failing education system, corrupt government, open borders, the entry of millions of illegal immigrants, and deadly drugs produced by the Mexican drug cartels in league with communist China. Those drugs kill more Americans than in any war this century. And then there are the external threats. The Russians are warning the world they may use tactical nuclear weapons against the Ukrainians and implicitly against their allies. The Iranians are seizing ships in the Persian Gulf and advancing rapidly to their goal of having nuclear weapons. The Chinese will in a matter of years have more nuclear warheads than the United States and the race for the fastest and most lethal hypersonic missiles is underway, and the United States, by most estimates, lags behind both Russia and China. We face a national security threat. It is immense, and it is immediate. The U.S. military hasn't met its recruiting goals in years. The woke military is losing experience, combat service members, officers, non-commissioned officers, and enlisted. Our military faces shortages of weapons, ammunition, and munitions. And obviously, weak leadership, civilian, and military pose a threat all their own. Our guest today is expert in not only defense and national security, but also technology and the military-industrial complex. Our guest is Yale professor Paul Bracken, who spent much of his academic career thinking about the unthinkable, and he is the author of the book, The second nuclear age. Paul, great to have you with us here on The Great America Show, and thank you for being with us. And now, more than 15 months after the Russian invasion of Ukraine, Paul, the Biden White House is fighting a proxy war against Russia. It's uninterested in a peace deal. China is bolstering Russia's surprisingly weak military. And out of nowhere, it seems a group of African nations is interested in brokering a truce between Russia and Ukraine. How in the world did we get here, Paul?
2: Well, a couple of things going on here. First of all, you want South Africans selling anything they can to Russia now. So this idea that we have a global democracy block that's all cooperating in this war isn't exactly the case But I think the deeper issue here is like we saw with the Chinese trying to start a negotiation, which is it bypasses the United States. We're seeing something which has been long predicted, which is a multiple polar world, many decision-making centers, no longer run by two big powers, no longer run by the United States, as it was for a long time. And I don't think we're prepared for this at all, particularly in the State Department, uh, but also in the Pentagon, because it raises whole new issues about alliances and how solid they really are. The, you see this in Asia, where I do a lot of work. There's a tremendous skepticism that the United States would come in to defend Taiwan or South Korea or the Australians. That's one of the reasons we did this submarine deal with the Brits. Remember, we're selling the Australians a nuclear-powered submarine. Right. And they're really demanding, uh, the Asian countries, the ones I just mentioned, are really, what they want is a strengthening of the U.S. nuclear guarantee to them. Because they look at the, something which does not get the attention that it really needs is this massive Chinese nuclear breakout, where the Chinese in 10 years are going to be at American force levels. and. They're asking themselves in Seoul and uh, you in know, Canberra, what are the United States, will the United States really use nuclear weapons to defend us against China or against North Korea when China has the ability to destroy the United States?" And so they're scrambling in Washington, more the Pentagon than any place else. And actually more in Congress to come up with sort of interim answers to this in the form of theater nuclear weapons. But it's really a big problem and it ultimately shows the increasing doubt that the United States has either the political will or the military power to defend all of this big world we're in all at the same time. And it's, I think they're also irritated at our rhetoric Uh, which promises all these things. But when it comes to actual behavior and taking actions, they just
1: don't see it. The uncertainty, the tensions are are palpable uh, because China is asserting itself, obviously, uh, and in direct conflict with India, uh, which a lot of people are not thinking about. But here are the two largest countries in the world that are, are straining at one another, and creating another, uh, if you will, uh, uh, problem for a world that hardly needs another.
2: Right. One of the things that has happened is that the U.S. has tried to make strategic deals with India, um, particularly on the intelligence and reconnaissance fronts. So this is not getting a lot of attention. Um, But look, India has a nuclear force and they're modernizing it. If we ask ourselves, why has the Ukrainian military been so effective, the answer is because they're killing so many Russians with highly targeted missile attacks. And where do they get that information? It has to be from the United States. Mm-hmm. So the potential for the United States to transfer information, targeting information, to India to make life very difficult for the Chinese and to create a separate front so that china can't put all of their energy against taiwan but they have to worry about what's happening you know over the himalayan mountains let me point out something here that most people have forgotten and it's that when richard nixon and henry kissinger went to beijing in 1972 Mm -hmm. henry had in his briefcase the Beyond top secret documents that he collected from the Pentagon about the location of every Soviet nuclear weapon east of the Ural Mountains, with their longitudes, their latitudes, he had maps, detailed descriptions. He got this information to give it as a gift to the Chinese in a meeting held in the Great Wall at the Great Hall of the People. And This bolstered Chinese military capability tremendously overnight because they had no idea where the Russian nuclear weapons were. U.S.-Indian cooperation, I think, is moving in that direction. Uh, People don't want it to move too fast, but it's moving in that direction. And you're going to see, in the next few years, three nuclear superpowers with possibly India joining this club. India is the only country in the world that has ICBMs, MIRV warheads. These are warheads you can put 10 warheads on a single missile. And they can really change the nuclear balance with respect to China. So it's a, it's a very different world we're going into. We're used to one of two nuclear superpowers. We have three today, and I'm arguing you may see a fourth in the form of India. And just imagine a Cuban Missile Crisis with three or four countries in it. Uh, I mean, this has huge implications because there's another technological trend I don't think people pay enough attention to. And that's that you can destroy an enemy's nuclear forces with conventional warheads now because they're so accurate. Uh, And this makes life very potentially dangerous for any country with a small nuclear force. I don't know how we're going to handle this, but this goes into this soup of technological, political complexity that we're going to be working out for many years to come.
1: You've been a visiting uh, scholar at uh, the CIA, uh, Beijing University. Give us a sense of your judgment of the, of the two bureaucracies, uh, to the, if, you, if you would. Just your own personal sense about their effectiveness, their commitment to their capacity. Well, the Chinese are
2: highly focused in a way that the Pentagon is not on, on Taiwan, essentially. Um, this makes life a lot easier for them number 1 number 2 the other thing we have to understand is that china was able to skip a generation of innovation that the us did not skip if we're still pouring billions of dollars into maintaining, maintaining armies ships airplanes stuff like that china is cutting the size of their mass infantry army and they skip the generation of tanks radars aircraft, jet fighters, stealth, to pour it into cyber warfare, to pour it into hypersonic missiles, to pour it into AI. Um, But to get to the heart of your question, I don't think the Chinese have thought through how they're going to use this in a real crisis or a real war. We learned in the Cold War that what we thought was going to happen didn't happen. That is to say, the problem wasn't surprise attack by the nuclear Soviet Union. The problem was how to fight a limited war in Korea, then Vietnam, and what role nuclear weapons played in that. Okay. So I don't think China has really thought about that very much. And I wish they would, because it's very dangerous. China has now the ability to go on nuclear alert DEFCON 2 the way the U.S. did in the Cuban crisis. Um, And this means flying around dozens or even hundreds of hydrogen bombs on airplanes, putting them on these reefs which they fully intend to do, these artificial islands they've been building. Right. So they're climbing a learning curve to get to the United States side, the way I see it, there's, we've climbed this learning curve 40 years ago, but we're now going down a learning curve because we've forgotten about the existence of nuclear weapons, that China will use this these to threaten us, to get us to pull the seventh fleet back to Hawaii because we can't risk it because it's vulnerable to nuclear attack. And I don't see the Pentagon really taking this seriously. They play war games with respect to defending Taiwan, um, but there's no nuclear play in it at all. It's as if it's a force-on-force, almost an, an academic model, when in the reality as in the Cuban Missile Crisis, you'll see leaders in probably all countries be scared to death of an escalation. And that can be used very effectively if the other side is more frightened of nuclear war than
1: you are. We'll be right back with Paul Bracken. Stay with us. Ah. The comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax-certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive. And start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. This is a warning, my fellow Americans. The news just broke, and it's grim. The banking collapse of 2023 is now more devastating than the banking collapse of 2008. First Republic, PacWest, Silicon Bank, just a few of the latest casualties in this banking crisis. And don't wait for the email reading, quote, Sorry, your account has been frozen, end quote. Take action now to protect what we've all worked so hard to build. Believe me, you can protect your wealth by utilizing a straightforward tax loophole that's entirely legal. Call my friends at American Alternative Assets. Ask them for your free wealth protection guide. Call 866-3-USA-GOLD. That's right. Call now. 866-386-2465. This invaluable guide will outline the precise steps you need to take immediately to transfer your IRA or 401k into precious metals all without tax consequence call american alternative assets at 866 the number 3 USA gold to claim your free gold and silver guide today once again call now 866 387 2465 we're back now talking with professor paul bracken uh, paul i I want to go to the to the issue of the pentagon not considering some of the uh, the imponderables, uh, but uh, imponderables that you do take into account and and give great thought to, and that is the multipolar war. Yes,
2: that's where I think we're going. Right, and the problem that countries will have will be managing this. What do I mean? I mean not letting China get too far ahead of us. Um. Bringing allies along who need the technology. That would be India and to some extent South Korea. Uh, bringing the European Union along, um, both in terms of their nuclear forces in France and Britain, but also in terms of their, just their general technology. So it's kind of a, a very complicated management problem so that not one set of powers gets too far out in front of the other where they might exploit it for military purposes
1: this national security team that you referenced earlier uh, and we're talking about uh Anthony Blinken secretary of state Jake Sullivan the national security advisors and their cohorts are, are i I think uh, by even the the left considered not top rate uh, in terms of talent or, or experience we have a president that is uh, woe-be-gone. Uh, he is impaired uh, he is compromised in the minds of most uh, and and highly ineffective except in, in destructive direction and initiatives. Uh, what are we to do when you have a, a second-rate national security team uh, and a a president who is effectively a non-entity?
2: Yeah, there's a, there's a tough question, um, but I believe some people are asking it in Washington, which is to say, what would we do if we got into a new really serious crisis? Which one thing we have not gotten into is like a crisis that could seemingly go all the way, Um, and there's not really a lot you can do in the bureaucracy without challenging civilian control of the military. So it's sort of pockets of people that I talk to who are very concerned about this, but they really don't know what to do. Um, They don't see it getting any better, Um, and it may get worse if there is another team, the replacement team for a second Biden administration, you know, heaven only knows what that would bring. don't like to say it because people won't, um, but they are afraid of a nuclear version of the exit from Afghanistan. In other words, a crisis where you have to take important decisions in a very short period of time, you don't have time to study it. And you put an overlay of nuclear weapons on it or major military clashes of a kind we would see in a war between China and the United States. Um, The Afghan Taliban could not really shoot back. We're now dealing in this multipolar world with countries who can shoot back. And I just I find a lot of concern that we're not taking this problem on. Head on.
1: I, I you know, I, I have to say, you're scaring the hell out of me. Uh, just to contemplate this, this president, uh, this commander in chief, with this uh, this cadre of of, uh, of so so-called national security experts around him. Uh, I I mean, that is just a a thought that no one in the national media uh, is contemplating, uh, discussing, reporting. There is not a lot of thought, it seems to me, going into the the leader coming from the leadership uh, of our military and certainly not much coming from this White House or from, frankly, academia to uh, this Pentagon or to this White House. Am I wrong in that? No, I think that's right. We have now a um,
2: it, it's quite interesting that the like who does the government the national security council the CIA's national intelligence what is the Net, the national intelligence committee I guess. And others where do they draw from? They, everybody says well they draw from the think tanks and they draw from academia. Fair enough. That's true. But if you look at where they draw from, it's always from like the Department of Political Science, history, a law school. And what I see is a really a lack of understanding of management. Management of what? Management of anything. Um, how to buy and use technology efficiently. I would be much happier if they were to draw into government, people who were from engineering schools or business schools, or even some of our big technology companies. Now, you're beginning to see some of that out of necessity, but I don't think it has really gone far enough. Grant strategy as a topic is, has many, many books and articles about it, but they're all drawn from the social sciences or the humanities not from the B schools and the engineering schools. So that's something we could change
1: over time. There was a time of where you could expect to see the CEO give up uh, his job, usually it was a man, uh, give up his job as CEO or chairman of the board and go to Washington and and serve the country uh, in some high position within the Defense Department or the State Department, uh, bring lifetimes of uh, not only uh, achievement and success, but huge, huge stores of knowledge about the world. I see none of that. It's a very dangerous point.
2: Let me just. Go back to the of how we got here. Back in the Cold War, you look at the sort of architects of the US military, people like Herman Kahn, Albert Wollstetter, Andy Marshall, Tom Schelling. Um, they all came out of, of the Rand Corporation, which was set up right. like, uh, in the early 1950s. And what did they do? They broke the government's monopoly on the debate. And back in the 1950s, we could, you know, if we had more time, go into the U.S. The Pentagon was operating nuclear weapons in a way that was unsafe, in a way that would get you into a war by
1: accident. Paul, can I do this? Let me interrupt very quickly. Let's take a break. And let's talk about how much trouble we could have gotten into and why talking with paul bracken we'll be right back after these words
0: okay picture this it's friday afternoon when a thought hits you i can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever or i can hop into my all-new hyundai santa fe and hit the road with available h-track all-wheel drive and three-row seating my whole family can head deep into the wild with available h-track all-wheel drive and three-row seating my whole family can head deep into the wild conquer the weekend in the all-new hyundai santa fe visit hyundaiusa.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details hyundai there's joy in every journey
1: we're back now paul bracken about to tell us how much trouble uh, we could have been in if you would I, i apologize for the interruption but uh we, we, have a, we have a format that is unyielding. Uh, Paul, you were saying.
2: Okay, back in the 50s, the subject we were discussing was the creative people and very smart people going into to work for the government. And the point I want to make is that the leading people who were the architects of the U.S. military, so people like Albert Olsner, Herman Kahn, Andy Marshall, Tom Schelling, I could go on. Um, When they started to look at the problems, they found that there were huge potential for accidents and and, uh, misaligned objectives, which would get you into a nuclear war that you didn't want to get into. And the effect of these people... It wasn't that we agree with them or not. It's that they broke the government's monopoly at the time, back in the 1950s, to about how you discuss these issues. Okay, that was many worlds ago. I mean, those issues were largely solved, and it's not generally realized that those individuals and others made the world much safer, okay? I don't... That's the big, pro- the big danger I see today, which is the government, in, 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 even the Pentagon, which is trying to do a good job, is just used to being in charge. It's a military top-down command system. The academics and the think tanks today don't challenge it except on issues like you were outlining about diversity, equity, inclusion, and things like that. They don't point out that nuclear weapons, as China builds up a force to rival that of the United States, are going to make an enormous difference. They don't point out that countries now have the ability to destroy enemy nuclear weapons with conventional targets because of super precise missiles. I I often ask audiences, why would anybody want a hypersonic missile? This is a very fast missile. And nobody really knows. But the reason these are so desirable today is that you can hit moving targets. And most countries have put their nuclear weapons on moving platforms. You want to be able to destroy these. Well, if you think about that for a minute, it brings in a whole new layer of intelligence and reconnaissance and tracking. How this is all going to work is something that has not been sorted out. And to me, it illustrates the need for fresh thinking of a kind we saw when the 1950s brought in outsiders into the national security establishment. Today, most of the focus is on just making the missile faster, not like what sort of trouble are you going to get into it with it? or on what are you going to do if they blind our satellites?
1: Is there, in fact, a consideration going on at any level about what all the hyper uh, ideological uh, conflicts in this country are doing to our national security. That, and I'm talking about the media, 95 percent of which is uh, just energized around the idea of Marxism, uh, Marxist Democrat uh, party leaders. Our institutions are in the grip of. Uh, All of this uh, woke uh, nonsense, indoctrination of left wing uh, principles uh, and very little attention in K through 12 to actual education. Uh, And we've had and I'm saying that uh, advisedly, we're not turning out the same level of uh, of student that we once did uh, from our high schools for entry into college. Your thoughts on that?
2: Well, it's a sensitive subject, but I can say that I definitely see a consequence being the general decline in critical thinking, uh, certainly in government. Many reasons for this, but I believe the educational system, K-12, through 12, and especially the elite higher education system, has a lot to do with this because if you combine hyper-specialization, which is what most academics now are engaged in. And I was aware of that. What I didn't, what I underestimated was the ideological change uh, for whatever you call it, CRT, DEI, a whole range of issues, right. which to me the biggest problem that it created was that it, it drove out thinking about big policy issues. How do you run a world, how do you engage in an arms race that you have to engage in because technology is becoming so important without inducing a lot of bad reactions on the part of other countries? Uh, one example is, that th- that's just one example. Um, the highly illusioned efforts to abolish nuclear arms. I was at Yale in 2011 when there was a conference. We're going to ban all nuclear weapons. That's what I was told. This followed President Obama's Prague speech in 2009. Well, I didn't even feel safe to go to this meeting because I thought it is not going to happen. China and good Lord, North Korea are not going to give up their nuclear weapons. Uh, but I didn't feel like that I would even be respected by making this rather obvious point that they're not going to give up their nuclear weapons, and I've been proven to right to be right. As anybody who had any sense could see in 2011. So this this driving out of big problems, which are now not being studied really at all, the in academia today. Whatever the problem is, climate change, war and peace, inequality, its there's an automatic leap to the progressive answer. And there's no debate or attempt to look at other solutions right. the way there was when I started my academic career.
1: You know, I I think, Paul so often that we see the left uh, emerge uh, loudest uh, and boldest uh, in our media because their answers are so simple. There's no rigorous thinking. There's no critical judgment and there's very little possibility uh, that we're going to get to an intelligent and effective answer because uh, we have created a whole society of liberal arts uh, experts on things they don't even comprehend or are who are completely unprepared for a technologically advanced world uh, that they can only sort of uh, drool at uh, as they talk about what I consider to be nonsense?,
2: well, I, I agree and. Uh, that was the purpose of the liberal arts back in the '50s, '60s. It started to change in the in the 1970s with that these are these are broader issues that have to be put into their appropriate political institutional context and that's almost gone now i mean everything is mapped into a binary choice are you in favor of saving the climate or having us all drowned that's the level of debate
1: (laughs) it is really it's absolutely true We certainly appreciate you being with us here today. We always give our guests the last word. And, Paul, your concluding thoughts, if you would.
2: Well, the French have this saying um, that I hope your children don't live in interesting times. And, boy, does that apply now. Because we do live in interesting times. What the French meant by that was they can often be very chaotic, unstable, and dangerous. And we are moving into a more dangerous world, and we don't even recognize what many of these dangers are.
1: So the world is sure interesting and um, to be continued. Paul Bracken, thanks so much for being with us. God bless you. All right. Good working with you. Paul Bracken, thank you, and thanks, everybody, for joining us today. We'll be taking up the debt ceiling negotiations that appear to be disastrous for the Speaker of the House and the GOP. Among our guests this week, Judicial Watch's Chris Farrell, former Trump presidential advisor Peter Navarro, and tomorrow our guest, Congressman Austin Scott. Please be with us. Till then, thank you, God bless you, and God bless America. One, two, three, four. Those are
2: numbers, but you already knew that. If you want to know what number you're going to pay each month for your car,